Good morning. Welcome to the second part of a series called People of the Second Chance, where we're talking about what it really means to receive a second chance from God, not only to receive it, but to live in that second chance and to be able to extend a second chance to others. So I have this drawer in my house, in my kitchen, that is full of junk. We call it our junk drawer. Don't judge. You probably, you got one? You have a junk drawer in your house? It's full of junk, but I don't know how it got there. We'll clean it out, and it'll be nice and clean and organized, and then I open it again, and it's like, where did all this come from? There's four of us in my family, and nobody admits to like, oh, that's all my junk. I put all that in there. It just shows up. You know, life is a lot like that, too. Junk just shows up. Stuff we didn't anticipate. We don't know how it got there. Not really sure what it's doing there. There's not really a place for it, but it just kind of shows up in our lives. And when junk starts showing up in our lives, we need a second chance. Recently in Texas, Derek Washenberger was in court for his fifth drug offense for dealing drugs, doing drugs, being caught in possession five times. And he stood in front of the judge facing a decades-long sentence, a decades-long sentence that he deserved to have because he had been caught and let go and caught and let go. And he was sure, everybody was sure, they were braced for him to be in prison for decades. And he stood before the judge for sentencing, and here's what she said. She said, something tells me, young man, to give you a second chance. I'm not sure if you deserve it, but I'm going to gamble that you're going to become a better person, that you'll take the second chance I'm giving you and change. You need to know that I don't have to grant this, but just something inside tells me that you're going to get your life together. And she ended up giving him probation. And later the bailiff was interviewed and he said, I don't know what came over her, the judge. I've never seen her do that before. You know, we're not that different from Derek. We mess up, we make mistakes, we hurt people, we do things we shouldn't do. Things happen to us that maybe we never thought would happen to us. And we stand before God needing a second chance. And God specializes in giving, giving people a second chance. If you've ever read the ministry of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with people, he was constantly calling people to follow him who needed a second chance. We're going to read about some of those people today in scripture. There's Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We give these out every week at LifePoint. We want everybody to have a Bible that wants one. You can read along in there, or you can follow along in the screen behind me as I read from several sec sections of Scripture. One of the most radical second chances of Scripture is by a guy, or happened to a guy, named Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. He came to know Jesus, and then he came to be known by his Roman name, which was Paul. He was a really bad guy. He got to know Christ and something really changed. And in his ministry, he had an opportunity to speak to people 
who were in Jewish leadership. And one of these times, he's speaking to a group of people, explaining how he received a second chance, what he was like before, and what he's been like since. It's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 26, beginning at verse 9. Here's what Paul had to say to a group of Jewish leaders. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And he goes on to talk about how he met up with Jesus and everything changed. How he got a second chance. How everything in his life was going in the wrong direction. He met Jesus and all of a sudden everything was different. And for this guy, Paul, it wasn't just a normal, hey, now I know Jesus, now I go to church, now I do good things. He was radically transformed into a different person. The same thing that's available to all of us. But when Paul became a follower of Christ, he got so serious about it, he became the most influential leader other than Christ in the first century church. He influenced more people, he planted more churches, he traveled further and made a bigger recorded difference anyway than any other leader in the first century church. This is a guy who started out hating followers of Christ, trying to kill them, and then he ends up going from town to town planting churches. Can you imagine what it was like for this former person who killed followers of Christ to show up in a town and say, I want to share with you the message of Christ? So he would do that in a town, plant a church, and he would move on to another town. Stay there a while, go plant another church, move on to another town. And when he would do that, while he was traveling, the churches that he planted, because they didn't have a Bible to open up and read it, they had questions. And so they would write letters, and they would get these letters full of questions to Paul as he was traveling on the road. And when he was going through church planting, and he would get arrested for it, and he would stay in some people's houses for a long time, and, and he would just write letters back to the churches that he planted. And those letters started to be circulated around in the first century. And many of those letters are what we have in our New Testament that we read when we read about the Apostle Paul, when we read about messages that he had for the first century church. So this church planter who was out to destroy the church receives a second chance, is radically changed, and now he starts to communicate back to these churches that he had planted. And he has some principles in there because Paul had received this second chance and now he's talking about what it's like to live in a second chance. The guy, Derek, that received a pardon or received probation, if he doesn't learn how to live free, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get in trouble again. He's going to go right back to prison. He's going to go back to making the same mistakes he had always made. And it's, just, it's true of us. If we don't learn how to live free, with the freedom and the grace that Christ gives us. If we don't learn how to do that, then we're going to go right back to what life was like before that. So as you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, there are some principles that you can pull out 
about what it's like to live in this second chance that's, that's available or has been received by many of us. So if you're taking notes, here are some second chance principles that you need to know. The first one is, with Jesus, I have nothing to prove. Nothing. See, when I come to know Christ, there's this point in time event where I'm saved, where I receive his grace. But then I have to start living that out. And Paul is saying, you don't have anything to prove, is what he's trying to let people know. Now in life, we often have things to prove. If you're a student, you better prove yourself as a student. If you want a scholarship, if you want to get good grades, if you want to be better than anybody else in the class, you have to prove yourself. You have to work hard and you will be given something because of that. At work, in your business, if you don't work hard, then you really don't deserve anything. If you don't do better, you'll never get a promotion. If you don't outperform other people, you're never going to get a raise. See, that's how it works with the world, but that's not the way it works with God. See, with God, he gives us a second chance, which is another way of saying he gives us his grace. He gives us his unearned favor. And that's a really difficult thing to accept when we live in a world that says, work harder, receive more, be rewarded for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But then we come before God and he says, you get my grace for free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You just need to accept it. And I love you because I created you and you're you. I struggle with that. I really do. You would think with me studying the Bible a lot and teaching it every single week, I would be a little bit smarter than that, but I'm not. I struggle with that. I struggle with equating how God feels about me with how successful the church is. And so when I look out and I see empty seats, I'm like, what the heck? Why are there empty seats? Bring people here. Bring more people. Fill this place up. Because inside I start to feel like as my ministry is more successful, that must mean God's more pleased with me and nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't love me more because there's more success. God doesn't say, that's Donnie, look at that. I am proud of him. I love him more than other people. The fact is, God loves me the same, accepts me the same, whether you come back next week or not. Whether you bring anybody or not, whether there's a handful of people here or the place is packed, my relationship with God is the same. You need to get that as well. That no matter what, God loves you. No matter what, a second chance is available to you. And your conduct, while there may be consequences for bad conduct, does not affect God's love for you. So any time you can receive a second chance. If people could get that, their relationship with God or their desire to have one would take on a whole new meaning. One of the letters that Paul wrote to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, he was writing a letter back to them to help them understand about this grace and freedom and forgiveness that God had given. And like Paul, all the people in this church used to be Jewish. So they'd grown up Jewish, they'd grown up learning the the Jewish law, they'd grown up with all the Jewish traditions, and they had left that behind and accepted Christ. But then, 
as they began to live out their second chance, they got pulled back into the old way of doing things, which was basically the more good things you do, the better you behave, the closer to God you are. Now, that's a dangerous place to be. Because they were saying, yes, be a follower of Christ, but then you need to do all these other things in order for Christ to really accept you. And so they were struggling with that. He got word of it. He writes them a letter and he starts to tell them, look, this is what it really means to be free. This is what it really means to accept God's second chance. And in Galatians chapter five, Paul says this to them. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And when he says the law, what he's referring to are the 613 commands of the old Mosaic law. Now you thought there were just 10, but there's really 613. You just hear about the top 10. And they had all of these laws that they had to obey, some of which make no sense today, may have made a lot of sense back then, but today it would make no sense to even ask people to obey these laws. One of them is a man has to have hair on his chin. So I'm biblical way more than many of you are. There were just crazy laws after laws after laws that they were trying to get people to believe and practice to say, if you practice these things, then God loves you more and you are more accepted and nothing could be further from the truth. And they were going back to this old way of living, this way of bondage, this way of trying to prove yourself before God over and over again by your ability to do that which is right. A lot of times, prisoners who are released from prison want to go back because they started to receive such comfort around their prison cell that they just can't deal with being free. And if you're a guy and you don't think Shawshank Redemption is one of the greatest movies ever made, you can just give me your man card on the way out because I, I don't think there could be a better movie in the world. So there's this old guy in the movie, Shawshank Redemption. His name is Brooks. And Brooks was in prison his entire life, adult life. And he gets released and he struggles with his freedom. The noise, not being able to He's not being told what decisions to make. He has to make his own decisions. And so he starts to contemplate, I'll just commit another crime so I can go back to that which is comfortable. Because he didn't know how to live free. He ended up committing suicide because he couldn't deal with his freedom. And Paul is telling this group of people at this church or these groups of churches, he's saying, you need to learn how to live free because you have been given a second chance. The world might say, do better earn and you'll be rewarded. Jesus comes along and turns all that around, flips it upside down and says, I've already done all of the hard work. I've already earned everything that you need. All you need to do is accept it. See with Jesus, the motivation is flipped. It's not, I'm going to do all of these nice things and be good. So he'll love me. I'm going to do it because of what he's done for me. So when we say, hey, you should come to church. Hey, you should bring your friends. You should get in a small group. You should open up your Bible and you should read it and find out more things about God. You should be honest. You should serve the poor. 
we don't say that in order for you to work to gain anything from God. We encourage you to move in those directions to show gratitude for what God has already done. And it may sound like just semantics, but it's so much more in the way you approach God. Showing action towards him because of gratitude is very different than trying to have action to show him how right you can be. Just last week, I cleaned out a file cabinet that had not been cleaned out since 1998 when we moved to Raleigh. I found floppy disks in this thing. (laughs) That's how long that file cabinet had been in my office. And my wife sat in my office and made me clean this thing out. She said, you're not leaving until this is done. Now you know who cleans out the junk drawer in our house. So I'm going through this file cabinet, and I find in the top drawer, the bottom of the top drawer, a bunch of drawings. Drawings that my girls did for me when they were little. They're 15 and 17 now, but when they were real little preschool, Cinda would drop them off at my office, and I had this big round table there, and markers and crayons, and they would sit there and and draw things for me, and, and then I would take them, I would put them up you know, on the door, because so, I was proud of them, and I, I totally forgot how many I had, and I pulled this big pile out, and I started looking through them, and they're not very good at all. I mean, the, the water's the wrong color. I'm a stick figure in every one of them, but they, you know, evidently to them, I looked like I was 100 feet tall, and, and they always drew me really big, and, and like I was always the hero, so they, but they just didn't do a great job at drawing, but they would hand these to me, and I can remember telling them, thank you so much. What if, what if they would have handed me a, a drawing and said, Dad, I made this for you because I want you to love me. I would have sat down with them and looked eye to eye and said, Honey, I don't, you don't have to draw me something for me to love you. I just love you. You're my child. You're my daughter. That's why I love you. I appreciate these gifts, and I'm going to put them on the door, and, and they're priceless. I wouldn't take any. I would. There is a, probably a price you could buy them from me for, but <laughs> it would take a lot of money, a whole lot of money. For you to buy those things from me. Because they did it not to earn anything from me, but they did it simply out of gratitude. That is the approach the Apostle Paul expects us to take with God. So do things for God. Whatever work it is that God calls you to, whatever good things you can do to make a difference in the world, do those good things. Show up to church, read your Bible, get in a small group, invite people, be a great husband, a great wife, a great parent, a great child. Do all of those things, but not to earn anything. Do them because of the gratitude of the God, to the God who always gives you a second chance and loves you whether you do those things or not, but really like a parent, feels the gratitude in his heart when we turn and do good things for him. And you might think, but it, it's really hard because I've made so many mistakes to like really get the second chance and live in it. I, I've got things in my life I would love to go back and get a do-over, wouldn't you? I mean, I would love to. I wish I, wish I had a time machine. I love time travel movies because I fantasize about I would go back and change this and this and I would do that different. And many of us go through life thinking about, I wish I could go back and get a second chance or get a do-over. Well, you can't do that, but you do have a choice. So when you live free in the second chance that God offers, you have a choice. You can use your past instead of your past using you. 
the Apostle Paul would have had a really bad past. He would have had memories of things he would like to forget. He would have had every reason to walk daily with guilt because of what he had done. But listen to the words he shares with the church in Rome as he says this in Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now the guy that wrote this has this bad, bad past. And what he's saying is, there, there's no, there is no capital offense. He's saying, you don't have to live with guilt. See, guilt, guilt can be a really good thing. There are good things about guilt. Guilt is like pain. Like, if, if I sat down, if I sat down here and one of those tacks I saw back there that hold up that curtain were sitting there and I sat down and I sat on it, guess what? I'd jump up a lot faster than that, hopefully not say anything I shouldn't say when I'm saying up here if I got stuck in the rear end. And I, but I would know, pain, stand up. That's what pain says. Something is wrong. You need to change. You need to fix. You need to make something different. That's what pain is for. Well, guilt is a lot like that. Because if you're living daily in pain, something's wrong. Something's not, not right. If you're living daily in guilt, something is definitely wrong. It's not the guilt that comes from God. I do believe there's guilt that comes from God, but God's guilt should just motivate us enough to change us. Just motivate us enough to help us turn and walk in a new direction. Motivate us enough to leave things behind that aren't good for us. God never designed guilt for us to live in. The guilt that we, if we're living in guilt, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the other side. It comes from the evil one who wants us to live in bondage to guilt. And Paul is saying, if you've received a second chance, there is no condemnation for you. There is no living daily, waking up with this feeling of guilt. It's not there. God took all of that away. And the only reason you should feel guilt is to feel enough conviction to turn and walk in a new direction. And I'm sure there are things in your past, just like mine, that you would just as soon forget. But the problem is your brain is not a hard drive. You can't just throw it in the trash and delete it. You can't unexperience something. You can't unlive something. You can't unsee something. So once we experience it and it happens, it's kind of there. So what do we do? Well, we have a couple of things that we can do with our past to prevent it from using us, to prevent it from causing us to live in guilt. One thing you can do is use your past as a testimony to how far God can bring a person. When I look back at my life, I've been a follower of Christ uh, more, more than half of my life now. At 21 years old, I took the step of faith and I became a follower of Christ. But before that, I lived every way as far from God as I possibly could. And then somebody invited me to church and everything changed. So now when I look back at this past that got things I'd rather forget, got consequences I'd rather not have to live with, when I look back at that, even though it was over 22 years ago, when I look back at that, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel like I, I don't feel dirty. I just look back and say, look how far God has brought me. So instead, instead of it being something that brings up guilt in me, it just reminds me of how powerful God is and how much God can change a life and how, much, how far God can bring people who receive his second chance. 
Another way that you can use your past that might be painful is use it to help others. When I was 10 years old, my parents divorced. I lived in a town of 1,000 people. I had a tiny little class in elementary school. Everybody knew. I was the only kid, I'll never forget, the only kid in that class whose parents were divorced. My dad had been in and out of the house, finally left for good when I was 10 years old, and it hurt. It was tough. It caused me to, my life to go off in a direction that I wish it hadn't. It caused me to have really turbulent, difficult teenage years and early college years. Tough, tough stuff. So why does stuff like that have to happen? So I have a choice when I look at my past, things that happened to me that caused me to do things I shouldn't have done. I can either look at that with pain and anger and guilt, or I can use it to help somebody else. Not too many years ago, a couple that Cindy and I knew were going through a divorce, have a 10-year-old son. One of, the, one of the parents asked me, could you go talk to him about you know, just what it's like, because I know your parents divorced when you were young. I said, I was actually 10 years old when my dad left. So I remember, I sat with this little kid looking him face to face, and I was telling him my story. And I said, my parents, my dad left too when I was 10 years old. My parents divorced. He said, really? His eyes kind of lit up. And I said, yeah. I said, and I was talking about how it made me feel. And he was like, yeah. He totally, we totally connected. And I said, it doesn't mean your dad doesn't love you or your mom doesn't love you. And, and I, we talked for a long time. And that little boy felt better because I got to share my experience with him. And so I used a past that could have defeated me but didn't. And you may have a past and think, oh, I don't want to ever talk about that again. But what if it could help somebody? What if it made a difference? What if it helped ease a hurt that somebody else is going through? That's how you can take a past that wants you to live, the evil one wants you to live in the past with guilt. But God says, no, use that not only to show how far I can bring a person, but use it to help somebody else. Another principle that Paul gives us on how to live in the second chance is when I live in the second chance, I practice generosity. Not just generosity with money, although that's included, but generosity with my time, generosity with grace that I give others. Next week, that's how we're going to wind this series up, is talking about what it's like to be generous with a second chance for other people. But Paul would say to us, don't just receive your second chance and, and learn how to live in it. But as you learn how to live in it, give it to other people. Be generous with what you have. Be generous with who you are and all that that means. And the last thing, if you're taking notes, to write down, when we're living in the second chance, we share that second chance with others. In Philemon verse 6, Paul says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So what he's saying is, share your faith with other people and it will help you understand what it's like to live in the second chance. So when we say, invite somebody with you, bring somebody with you, that could be the seed that leads to somebody else's life changing. I can remember back Times in my faith, as I've been living for Christ, the biggest times that I've grown, the times when I've taken more leaps spiritually than any other, were times when I was investing in somebody else, I shared the faith that I had with them, and they too became a follower of Christ. I've grown more by doing that than, 
by ever reading my Bible, although you should read your Bible, by coming to church, by being in a small group. The thing that accelerated my faith the most was to share it with somebody else. And the same is true for you. And that's what Paul is saying. Be active in sharing that. And for you, maybe it's just a simple invite. Maybe you don't feel like you're ready to do the, hey, I'm going to sit down and share God's word with people. That's okay. Maybe it's just, hey, come to church with me. Come to this Bible study with me. Come to this small group with me. Maybe that's all you need to do is to start sharing your faith and start to help other people know what it's like to have a second chance. Live, getting a second chance isn't something that you just receive and move on. Having a second chance from God means that we live in it. it means that it makes the difference in our lives day after day. And I challenge you to read the New Testament and read it through the eyes, because two-thirds of it was written by this guy Paul that I'm talking about. Read it through the eyes of somebody who has received a second chance and is trying to give us principles for this is how you live in the second chance that God offers everyone. Let's pray. God, thank you for the second chance that you give us. May we learn how to live in it. May we learn how to just approach you with gratitude and do things for you out of gratitude. And God, for those of us sitting in this room that have experienced difficulties in the past, may those be used to help others and as a testimony to your grace. God, help us to be generous with everything that we have and help us to seize every opportunity to share with others that you are the God of the second chance. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.